0: Hi, I'm Shereen Batek and you're listening to the Modern Retail Podcast, where I speak with executives leading the reinvention of retail. We've spoken on this podcast for ages, sometimes too much I've heard from listeners about how hot I think DTC brands are. But DTC holding companies may be even hotter and I spoke about them with today's guest, Eric Hutchinson, co-founder of Resident, now the parent company of what seems to be a bevy of very cool brands. We did record this episode before the coronavirus outbreak was declared a pandemic. And that's why I also asked Eric to join me again from long distance for a few extra questions, which you'll hear at the end of the episode. Thanks again for listening. Hi, Eric.
1: Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. We're excited to have you. Okay, so Resident is a really interesting model. And I think for a lot of people who are not listening to this podcast right now and who don't geek out on all things DTC as much as I do, um, tell us a little bit about what Resident is.
1: Yeah, so Resident is a family of DTC brands focused on the home goods space. Uh, We started the company uh, focused on mattresses. We actually have four mattress brands have now branched out of the bedroom into the living room with a couch brand called Bundle and a, and a rug brand called Wovenly. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So I know I sort of use the word holding company and use sort of family, which is already something we can yep. disagree on, which is always great for a podcast. Um, tell me a little bit about sort of how it came together? What was the genesis of Resident? Because obviously a lot of these brands existed before. And uh, and obviously you you were part of that. And then we could talk a little bit about the economics of how this whole thing actually works.
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about our, our kind of genesis and how we got started sure. in the mattress industry and why we've expanded out. So you know we, we were watching closely what was happening in the mattress industry um, and just felt that from a D2C, digitally native perspective, it really had some unique characteristics. Mm. Um, this is a very complex purchase that people buy once every Ten years, um, and they don't know what they don't know. So they use the internet as a place to go research and build that confidence. And so what we uh, saw was that there was a big hole in the space for brands that really spoke to the average American. Um, and so we built Nectar First, which is a uh, our our kind of memory foam mattress brand and it's really focused on delivering value. So it's a very high quality product delivered at a a value price um, and started online. And uh, what we learned very quickly was that within the mattress category, there are multiple types of products. There's memory foam, there's hybrid, there's all-natural latex product. And so what we did was we launched brands that really speak to each of those categories. Hmm. And so they're on a shared platform of kind of digital and technology infrastructure. So we get the leverage off of that platform across each of the brands.
0: So you said sort of there's a lot of different products in the mattress category. I think that's the understatement of the year. Um, There are so many mattress brands. Like there were so, and there were a lot when you'd started and there continue to be seemingly what more overnight. how are you sort of thinking of kind of at, when you first started? And we'll talk about resident in a minute. But when you first started that about you know getting into a competitive category, yes, with a differentiated product, but the consumer doesn't know that to them at first. Especially, it's just oh well, great another another mattress and can yeah. be sold to me online, great.
1: So it is very interesting. It's uh, the category is what I would refer to as a low barrier to entry, high barrier to scale category, and so anybody can get into the into the category, but. To scale that business up requires a lot of technical expertise as well as understanding of the product, the category, and actually how to engage with consumers. Um, so, you know, we kind of fought our way to the front of the pack. Um, you know, for the last three years, it's basically been three leaders in the DTC category ourselves, uh, Casper and Purple. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think each has a very unique value proposition and go-to-market. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we've we never been afraid of a, you know, a commodity category. We focus on how do we deliver the most value to our consumers and how do we f- we meet them where they want to make a purchase, which is one of the exciting things about digitally native brands is this notion that the consumer ultimately is a channel. And if you listen to the consumer, you understand what, what they're looking for. Um, you, you can always find a way to, to you know, engage and grow your business.
0: So, what were sort of the first? What was sort of the first few, uh, or even just once you launched, um, with kind of okay, we're going to have this differentiated mattress in a category that's you know pretty competitive. We have to kind of show how we're different very quickly, because um, you know digitally native brands have a playbook for right, for obvious reasons. You sort of grow very very quickly with a lot of advertising because you have to do it on yep. Facebook and Instagram. You don't have a store, especially in the early days. Um, how did that kind of growth uh, start for you? And at what point kind of did resident or the idea of resident start taking shape?
1: Yeah, great questions. So you know, we focused on a couple things out of the gates. One was uh, what we call attribution, but which was really about quantifying that user journey. And we went broad on channels. So we wanted to be on many channels as possible so that we could understand the relationship of channels and actually how the consumer was going through that shopping experience to build their consideration to ultimately make, make a purchase decision. And that that um, that focus allowed us to scale very quickly. So we weren't just channel. We didn't have a um, you know a singular channel focus where we we ran into a channel trap where you know a channel kind of tops out and you scale out. Um, and what we learned very quickly was that there are different types of buyers within the ecosystem. So the mm-hmm. person who wants a memory foam mattress opts into that category very quick- quickly. Just like someone who wants uh, a tri- more traditional mattress, which we call hybrid, they opt into that category very quickly. When so you say
0: opt in, you mean buy it?
1: So buy it, okay. right. And they, they said, I, I am looking for a memory foam mattress. And so they are doing the comparative shopping against other memory foam brands. Mm-hmm. And so once we understood that, you know, the the, the notion that we would have a, a family of brands or a portfolio of brands was uh, was was pretty clear to us.
0: So, so get give me some detail here. So, okay, so you're like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, we need to have a portfolio, and yep. especially in this market, how do you start getting a portfolio?
1: Yeah. So you know, we are very good at the product R and D cycle and getting up a digital experience. And so, um, you know, we have some great. Uh, talent on board around product R&D, so as soon as we understood that traditional mattress slash hybrid was a, was a great big category that was underrepresented online, we started the R&D process around DreamCloud, which is our, our hybrid product. So um, what did that
0: look like? I mean, I, I love that you're just saying R&D, but a lot of people on this don't know. of so like, okay, I'm going to start an R&D process. What does that, what does that mean, especially? Because you already had all this expertise because you had already launched one, you already built a brand. Um, how did you apply those lessons to kind of DreamCloud?
1: So uh, it's a lot of research up front, understanding what consumers like, what they don't like, how do they, um, how do, they do the evaluation process for that category, and then working on the R&D side with uh, you know, building mattresses Testing them out, mm-hmm. understanding what consumers like and what what, what they value, and so it, it's a very fun process actually. Um, <laughs>
0: Just lots of mattresses.
1: Lots of mattresses, <laughs> and, and a lot of a re- lot of research, a lot of talking to consumers. You understand what they're buying, uh, what what they don't like, um, especially with a uh, digitally native experience. You can really hone in on what are those things that the, com- the consumer really cares about mm-hmm. and drive those things home. It, it, it's a very I, I find it a very fun experience to go through.
0: So you figured out kind of what DreamCloud would would be as a product. What came next?
1: Um, So, once you figure out the product, then it's about perfecting the supply chain. So, um, the manufacturers of uh, a more traditional hybrid mattress are different than the manufacturers of a mm-hmm. uh, of a, a memory foam mattress so getting the, the supply chain together uh, going through the web design process which is also very fun um, and then then launching it and what we do is we launch we have a portfolio of uh, channels we go after mm-hmm. um, they're the, the ones that everybody heard, hears of you have know, Facebook Google um, the, we have a, a, a network of affiliates that like to review our mattresses mm. um, and so we launch with that and we start to focus on the unit that can Economics and then scale it up.
0: Was the idea that, because we've heard and we've had people on this show who they've launched a DTC brand or digital native brand, had great success, you know, really figured out their expertise and so on. And then I talk a lot about stretchability on this podcast. Like you you take a brand, you then apply that brand storytelling and, all, and what that brand really is, not just right. the product. And you apply it to the adjacent category. You take yep. luggage, you make travel amenities, you you take uh, mattresses and you make night lamps. Right. Um, Or you make other types of mattresses, which you could have done. You could have just said, everyone knows this brand, so why wouldn't I just make more types of mattresses under this brand that everyone already – and by the way, that I've already spent all this time and money on Instagram making a recognizable brand. Why start DreamCloud?
1: Another great question. So we have a strong belief in brand and that you need kind of clarity of of, uh, what that brand stands for. And so within the mattress category in particular, the type of mattress is a real anchor. And so instead of having one brand that had all these different types of products, we said let's have a brand that is best in class related to that category. And then your other question around kind of the adjacent products, you know, you can think about it as concentric circles. If if the mattress is the anchor product, you know, everything related to the bed is the closest concentric circle. So the foundation, you know, sheets, pillows, mattress protector, things like that are very obvious. Right. You're making the mattress purchase. It's just really easy to go ahead and, and, and buy those additional items. But then you know, we've gone one step further and said, okay, well, let's talk about the bedroom uh, as you know, the, the next concentric circle out related to the mattress. Mm-hmm. You know, as, from, from our perspective, as we got out of the bedroom and looked at the broader home, it made more sense to have other brands that really stood for something very specific.
0: Right. But DreamCloud was still a mattress brand. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. So we took the same same approach with DreamCloud as with Nectar. So we launched the mattress first. And then what we did was launch cross-sell into the bedroom related to that product. So the, all the adjacent products related to the mattress, we also sell on DreamCloud.
0: So how did you pick... Um I am interested in how people pick those adjacencies, yeah. Because um, you know, there's a lot you could do. Right? We had, we've had people, um, I believe we had a couch brand burrow um, on mm-hmm. recently, and you know, they were like, we went for a dog bed, and I was like, that's that's really interesting, and I wouldn't <laughs> have really thought of that as the next thing. Um, walk us through a little bit into sort of what goes on in kind of a founder's mind or a founder team, and says, where do we go next?
1: So. We just ask our customers so okay. we send out about 500 surveys a day and we ask them what else are you buying online? What else would you like to buy from us and they'll just tell you and then from there We use that as an anchor for the R&D You know once we understand that the, that a category product product the consumer is looking for is an adjacency We go and start doing the research and understand just like we did with the mattress What are the aspects of that product that they care about mm-hmm. and do you know and bring to market a product that that resonates with them?
0: So what were you hearing?
1: Um, That they all, you know, all the adjacent products, the foundation, whether it be a a more traditional platform bed, um, an adjustable bed, mattress protector Mm -hmm. sheets, pillows, that they would much rather just buy all of that from the sink when when they're making the mattress purchase versus buying the mattress from us and buying those those products from someone else.
0: So... uh so you were sort of owning kind of the mattress and the mattress yep. adjacent. And then now, it, you know, you've really gone into kind of owning the home. And right. And it seems like that's where you're going to be sort of continuing that. Um, how did all that sort of begin? And what are some of kind of the economic, economically viable or economic sort of uh, reasons that you want this under one roof? Look, you could personally own multiple brands and multiple companies. It's right. It's completely possible. And you basically sort of do. But there are obvious Economies of scale when you put them all under one roof. Right. Um, so, tell me a little bit about kind of all the other brands, and then talk to me about the economic model.
1: So, there's two real views that we have of that. So, the, the first one is let's talk about the economic model. With, uh, with mattress, you buy it once every eight to ten years. Um, it's a thousand dollars, and um, so you know we look at the lifetime value really through the lens of the average order value for that one purchase. Mm-hmm. And, it has, and nobody's you know, buying
0: like no one buy,
1: buying a mattress every month. But as yeah. you move more broad, exactly, as you move more broadly into the home, there's opportunity to expand that relationship with the consumer and sell, sell them more products. And in particular, you built trust related to that first purchase. Hmm. And so from an economic model, we go from a single purchase AOV-driven model to a lifetime value model where we have this relationship, we're leveraging it to provide products the consumers looking for. Um, from a technology perspective, we have a shared platform. You know, we've built our own homegrown e-commerce platform and data platform. And so we get to leverage that across all the brands. So we do get economies related to the efficiency of what, bringing these brands to market and scaling them up.
0: We're going to take a quick break for an ad and we'll be right back. Okay, we're talking all things uh, mattress and more uh, with Eric Hutchinson. Okay, so Eric, you've you've sort of laid out this really neat and kind of really interesting model here. You you need people to buy more things from you than just one mattress in every 10 years, okay? And I'd love an example of how how you sort of figure out what the next few products in kind of your home and everything home world that you're trying to build with resident, starting with the idea of that, okay, someone's come into your world just with, hey, I need a memory foam mattress. Where do you take them through that journey?
1: Yeah, so... Let's say they came came through Nectar. They made a purchase of Nectar mattress plus, uh, you know, foundation and, and their and bedding. You know, after that, what we'd love to do is furnish their entire home. And we're kind of at the beginning of that journey. But you could very easily see the next thing someone buys is a bedroom set dresser um, and then goes onto our rug site, Wovenly, buys a rug for their living room. And then through Bundle, our, our seating brand buys, buys a couch. Mm-hmm. And so the I- idea is to have products that resonate with the consumer across the entire furnishing life cycle of a home.
0: But from your perspective, how do you then make sure they know about Wovenly or make sure they know about Bundle? I mean, is it just a simple matter of like, we'll email them a lot? Because EGC brands, by the way, love to email. We do
1: do love email. So part of what we're trying to do is be relevant with the consumer. And so, yes, we use email, um, you know, with, through through kind of the cookie environment, we we understand that cons- who that consumer is, and so we can we can put ads in front of them. But what we're trying to do is, is predict and provide the consumer with something that helps them out, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to just be uh, bombing a consumer with emails related to buy now, buy now, buy now. Right. And so it's a combination of content and then using analytics to understand what's someone most likely to buy next and try to get that product or that brand in front of them mm-hmm. so that you're, you're making it easier for them to go through the shopping process.
0: So is what you said kind of the most likely model for people, that they go for, obviously they go for the bed and everything, bed adjacent. Um, and then what, they go for rugs or they go for couches? Um, Why so, rugs and couches? Um, Why not? I don't know wall hangings. Why not curtains? So all those categories
1: are things that we've looked at that we're very interested in. Um, we kind of went back to what are what are our consumers tell us that they're buying at the same time, and those were two products that were uh, that we heard you know, loud from our customers that that's what they were looking for.
0: I do think it is interesting, kind of you know zooming out a little bit beyond resident. Um, we have sort of seen kind of this. I am interested in this idea that more people are going to start grouping brands mm-hmm. together for some of the reasons that you've mentioned. And you're seeing that appear in various ways. Some is just like you acquire a bunch of brands and you put right. them together and you then can have the benefits of the obvious shared services model. Right. You can have marketing under one roof. You maybe can even get better rates for advertising and things like that, maybe for your agencies, et cetera. Um, and then you can have some of the the things you're talking about, which is you have all this customer data under one roof. Right. Where do we kind of go? I'm going to ask you to take off your resident hat for a minute, but where do we kind of go from here in sort of this DTC playbook? Because it does sound like that's sort of the next evolution of a lot of right. these digitally native brands. Because let's be real, not everyone's going to IPO. It's just not going to happen. And it doesn't
1: make sense for every brand to IPO. Absolutely.
0: So where do we kind of go now?
1: So let's first talk about what we mean when we say digitally native e commerce. So you know, these are that's companies. My favorite topic, by the way? Uh, these are companies that are born online, but our view is that what's really happening is that kind of the face of consumer is changing. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the future of consumer brands is not online versus offline, but it is omnichannel. And the idea is that you're getting leverage over the digital ecosystem, you're engaging consumers where, th- where they want to engage, but there's a real, there's a massive opportunity with being online and offline. And you know, we, we launched our offline strategy about a year ago. We're in over 1,500 retail doors today. But I think you know, as you look forward and you look at this notion of a family of brands, it's really around understanding kind of what the consumer is looking for and that purchase that purchase journey. And when I say purchase journey, it's not just about making that first purchase, but it's around what do they want next. And so I think there is a real opportunity for brands to get together either under one roof or in partnership to really serve the consumer. And you can use the shared data um, because ultimately the consumer is the one that's making the decision. And what we want to do is make it as easy for for them as possible.
0: Right. So then – so kind of then continuing on that point of view, you sort of – you did have a way that a lot of these brands launched. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of a way that for example, one of the big things I'm interested in is now a lot of them start looking like to your point. It's not about just selling things online. It's okay, we're still gonna be direct to consumer right. in a different way. So that's where sort of physical stores are coming in, physical stores are back, maybe even a little bit of light wholesale. It's okay. Yeah. It's not a bad word. No. It can come back. And is sort of the next step to then say, okay, can all of these kind of group together in ways that make sense? Is that what's we're going to sort of look forward to in the next evolution of Digitally Native?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a, a reinvention. Uh, well, there is a reinvention of retail happening. So rein, re, the, if you look at kind of the new age of retail, it's aspirational again, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you go into an Bird store, you go into an Everlane store, and it's a great retail experience. And you, you can see that going to a next step phase where it's not just around a singular brand. It's around a family of brands that speak to a light consumer. Um, so I think there's a lot of really interesting things on the horizon around how do you make retail more um, aspirational and how do you also make the footprint more efficient from an economic standpoint. Hmm. But the consumer journey, it's very clear now, is not just about online versus offline. It's about creating a holistic brand experience that engages that consumer online, but also creates an aspirational offline experience for the consumers that want, want to have that as well.
0: I like the word aspirational. How have you kind of sought to kind of bring that into into your brand?
1: Yeah, I mean, mattresses, right, it's one of the most boring categories, but you can do a lot of things online with digital advertising, to actually make it fun. Hmm. You know, Give last, me an example. This last year we won um, YouTube uh out of, the, out of the year around this, this brain video that we had that just made the notion of shopping for a mattress kind of fun and, and whimsical. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot you can do with kind of reinventing how you engage a consumer in the digital ecosystem that can kind of delight and surprise um, even with something as boring as a mattress. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you know, it, it creates a whole new kind of uh, medium for creative thought. Uh, and I think if you look across a digitally native brand, whether they do it through a fun and whimsical perspective or just something that more, speaks more to like lifestyle, there's some just some really great um, kind of brand building and marketing that's happening.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your growth, too, because you kind of mentioned this earlier, you know, moving people sort of from just like AOV yeah. to lifetime value and et cetera. Um, what is what has your growth looked like and how do you sort of see that? changing in sort of the coming year. Because one of the things we've heard a lot about is it's going to be the year of sustainable growth. You're not going to see sort of the 3x, 4x kind of uh, growth anymore. And some of that is being driven by the funding environment, um, and some of that is just driven by founders kind of thinking differently. What does your growth look like?
1: Yes, I mean, we've had phenomenal growth over the last three years. Uh, I think two years, 2018, we were the fastest growing internet company by internet retailer. Um, rough numbers, first year of operations, forty two million; second year, 249. Last year, over 300 million. Um, and But we've really focused on expanding our unit economics. Uh, 2019 was really focused on gross margin, contribution margin, and, you know, we're right at the point of kind of break-even profitability. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of growth this year. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we have uh, start executing an omni-channel uh, online to re- offline, and that's really working for us. You know, uh, we we have a partnership model um, where we you know, partner with top retailers across the country and drive traffic into their stores. In this category, eighty percent of people still want to buy offline, and so yeah, you know, we see great growth this year. But we're really focused on profitable growth, mm. um, and so kind of getting the best of both worlds, where we get the scalability of digital, but um, you know the strong unit economics of an a channel execution.
0: Have you seen kind of the funding environment, or just the way sort of investors are thinking about funding consumer good startups change? Uh, you, c-
1: c- consumer businesses, from a kind of a venture capital perspective, that is a little. It, it, it's you know it, it's uh, it's it, it's volatile. You know, what we really focused on related to that is again strong unit economics, getting the profitability so that we kind of have our our destiny in our hands. Um, so we're less reliant on on, on the funding environment, hmm. um, but you know, great companies get funded. So you know, and, and uh, great investors have capital to deploy. So I mean, we, we yeah, I think uh, Brooklyn and just closed a round with Summit Partners. a uh, week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, you know, great digital native brand getting getting funded from a from a top uh, private equity firm.
0: What sort of comes next for you? What are you thinking, kind of the next nine months, especially as goals, as especially just a founder of and now owning all lots yeah. of children versus just kind of one. So, so I mean, we're ones. we're
1: we're focused on uh, continue to execute our online to offline strategy, grow the business and grow it profitably. Um, you know, last year, as I said, it was a year of unit economics, and we ju- we're going to continue that forward this year. And you know, our goal is to be you know, one of the leaders in the broader ecosystem of mattresses and, and the home um, versus just being a digitally native brand that, that focuses online. So I think you're gonna see, see a lot more from us related to how we execute that omni-channel strategy.
0: Thanks for joining us again, Eric. Obviously, since we spoke, the coronavirus pandemic has overtaken life as we know it um, here in the US and globally. So I guess my first question really is, how are you? How are things? I I mean,
1: we're, we're, we're doing as well as can be expected. I think under the circumstances, um, you know, we can talk a little bit about what we're seeing on the business side. Um, but from a, you know, kind of an operations perspective, you know, we started the business on a distributed platform and with a remote workforce. So we really haven't missed a beat in terms of kind of managing the business forward. So I think we were kind of set up for success. And I've actually had quite a few conversations with people related to how working from home, rules that we've used, how we've been successful with it. So, so yeah, yeah, different, whole new world we live in.
0: What's been the most surprising or, uh, I don't know, just the most uh, interesting thing just from an internal perspective before we talk about the business itself, just on you know managing your team and or anything else like that? Anything, anything that surprised you or stands out?
1: Yeah, I would say not... The the surprise has been to some degree the lack of surprises. So, you know, because we have a remote team, you know, we have offices in Tel Aviv, London, New York, San Francisco, Mumbai. We already work across geographies. We work remotely, and so you know, the surprise has been kind of the, la- the lack of any business interruptions. You know, what I would say though is, in light of this, what we've done is kind of taken another look at the things that we do within the remote nature of our business to try to enhance that. Um, things like uh, you know. Uh, Making sure everybody has their video video on when we do a conference call. Just simple things like that actually go a long way to start to create a more a better sense of community uh, when people don't have the human contact that they're used to. Absolutely.
0: Um, so tell me a little bit about the business side. I mean, obviously, a lot has changed for a lot of people. I mean, you know, it's it's crazy how quickly things change. Um, you know, we were entering sort of a period of very gr- great, strong economy, lots of funding, um, just sort of lots of, you know, really interesting brands starting up, great time for founding companies, yeah. um, and lots of good. And what's uh, what's the impact been just at least in the first few weeks on the business end?
1: Yeah, so we've been monitoring this closely for a few weeks now you know better part of a month and you know, we there's two sides of our business there's the, the D2c e-commerce side and then there's the retail side. and um, you know what we've seen on the retail side not not unexpectedly is a, is a fairly rapid close down or kind of reduction. and you know if you kind of walk through it for three weeks you know the first week we saw about a 10 to 15 percent reduction then that went to about 25. Uh, then 50, and then, you know, uh, you know, 85 to 90. So it was almost overnight uh, when kind of the full shutdown happened. Mm-hmm. On the D2C side of the business, I'd say, you know, we're, we're, we're solid. Um, you know, in many ways, you know, uh, we're businesses up. And I think this really speaks to this future of consumer, as we talked about, which is this notion of the brands of tomorrow need to think about the consumer as a channel and engage consumers kind of when and where they want, uh, want, want to engage with your, your business. And so right now consumers are online. And so we've pivoted our business and really been able to make up the ground that we lost to the retail. So you know, our business is performing really well. Uh, when I would look out and talk to other e-commerce companies, it's, mm-hmm. it's a mixed bag. You know, I think companies that, um, provide value to the consumers, um, are doing really well. The you know, companies that are you know, at the premium end of the spectrum are having tougher times because consumers, are, I think, are delaying some of those purchases. But you know, our business as a whole is solid, but you're really seeing the, the difference in performance from both sides.
0: One thing that's just been interesting and we've been talking a lot about is just how this also, you know, accelerates trends. I mean, you had you already had people that were e-commerce was a growing part of what was going on anyway. And in some ways, you know, I've seen forecasts that say we're about to hit the number that we expected not to hit until 2025 in certain trends that we're about Mm -hmm. to do that today. We're about to do that in the next month or so. I think that puts, you know, companies like yours sort of just stand to your point in a really interesting space. And I think that I'm, I'm curious about what you're seeing sort of as an acceleration that then directly impacts you. I mean, is it that people are actually willing, maybe more people are now willing to buy, for example, one of the mattresses online that they, maybe these are people who never would have bought a mattress online to begin with.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing a forced acceleration for people becoming more comfortable to make, a, you know, any purchase online, but but a considered purchase um, specifically. Um, and, you know, I, I think our hope is that, or not hope, but our our, our view is that even over in the medium term, this is going to accelerate the move online, I think what's going to be really interesting is, uh, you know, following this, you know, what, how much of that shift um, kind of remains versus goes back more to the status quo. So... Um, you know, I think more more so than ever. You know, I'm talking to companies that are trying to understand what it means for their business and how they how do they take advantage of of the changing. Uh, changing landscape. How do
0: you then figure out? I mean, you mentioned kind of retail stores and that's been another sort of, you know, look, no good nobody could have seen this coming. And we were actually right. talking about how, you know, physical retail actually was sort of the next step for a lot of born online companies. This was meant to be the thing that catapults you really into sort of the next level, whatever that level is. And we've heard that on this podcast from so many founders. And suddenly physical retail in large parts of the country is just basically illegal <laughs> and because you can't do it right, <laughs> right. now. Um and also, you know, that's that's one sort of thing that I'm just kind of worried about or interested in understanding how, especially if you're running a company, how you think about this. Do you think you will just pour more resources into e-commerce and then just wait and see? Or do you sort of say, actually, maybe physical retail is not the future?
1: So, you know, we're definitely focusing right now on the D2C side of the business. You know, we're, we're quite concerned for our retail partners mm. Um, this is a really tough time for small and medium-sized businesses across the landscape you know, because this is you know, kind of a, a unique unprecedented um, uh, you know, interruption that we're experiencing and, and you know, the stimulus packages and things aren't the, the, the Fed doesn't have the tools to get the money in the hands of small to medium-sized business in a way to be effective and so you know, everybody's trying to scramble to figure out how they, they bridge to the other side. Um, but right now, we're focused on the digital side of the business. Um, you know, we've always had a, a view that that is going to continue to gain market share. But at the same time, we're, we're actually putting uh, programs in place to reinforce our retail partners when we come out of this. Mm. So things like how do we um, engage our consumers on the other side to drive them into retail? How do we do special programs that can only be redeemed in retail? Because it's in everybody's best interest that our retail partners um, come out of this and and um, are successful and can thrive. And so what we want to do is figure out how can we be the best partner for those retail retailers on the other side. And so we're starting to put, put in place those programs today um, so that we're ready to go as soon as we are kind of on the other side of this.
0: Yeah, it strikes me. It just seems so difficult, especially now, just because – there's no sense of, you know, is this a two-week plan, a three-week plan, a six-month plan? It's very hard for a founder and somebody who's running something. Very hard.
1: Right. Uncertainty is the most difficult thing to manage to. If we just had clarity, then people can put in place plans um, to, to bridge to the other side. But um, with, without uh, you know, a clear timeline, it's, it's that much more difficult for uh, for business to manage to.
0: Yeah. I guess my last question is, you know, lots of people listening to this, I think, in that period of uncertainty too, um, any advice or sort of thoughts for them that they can kind of at least apply.
1: Um, you know, we we have a hope, hope for the best plan for the worst. So, you know, we are looking at all the aspects of our business on how we make sure that we're running lean, uh, you know, conserving our, our cash and leaning into the side of the business that does work. Um, you know, I think every you know it's it's imperative for operators to understand the leverage that they have with their business, and um, you know, action is a lot better than panic. So, um, bias for action and and take make make the moves you have to to you know if you can thrive during this time, but at a minimum, you know, be be prepared to weather the storm so that on the other side we can you know we can all kind of return turn
0: to business as usual. Yeah, absolutely. Hoping for the best, Eric. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you. And that's all for today's episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. Thank you for listening. Our producers, Pierre BNMA, who also made our amazing theme music. If you like the show, here's what you need to do. Head to your iTunes store, search for a show, and leave us a review. We'll be back next week.